Scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, sorry, chapter 11, verses 2 through 11. When John the Baptist heard in prison what the Messiah was doing, he sent word by his disciples to say to Jesus, Are you the one who is to come? Or are we to wait for another? Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the poor have good news brought to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. And as they went away, John, Jesus began to speak to the crowds about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to look at? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go to see? Someone dressed in soft robes? Look, those who wear soft robes are in royal places. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written. See, I am sending a, my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your, your way before you. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. Yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. The word of the Lord. One week you're preaching and baptizing in the desert. The next week you're sitting in a prison cell. What a difference a week makes especially when it comes in the lectionary. Last week, people were flocking to John the Baptist to hear him preach and be baptized. The desert Elijah was at the top of his game, confidently preaching and proclaiming that the kingdom of God was near. He was quoting Isaiah about the scriptures being fulfilled. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. But now, several chapters later, John the Baptist is in prison because he was stupid courageous 
and spoke a word of truth to the king, reprimanding him for divorcing his wife and unlawfully taking the wife of his brother. So now he sits in a dark, dank cell, wondering what will happen next. One week, you're preaching and baptizing in the desert, and the next week, you're sitting in a prison cell. Sometimes life can throw you a curveball. You have, you have a plan about how things are going to play out, and a curveball is that thing that awakens that, and that often derails us from our tried and true plan from point A to point B. Oh, you think you're going to get married and start a family, and then you realize you can't have kids. You have a plan to leave at 10 a.m. for your doctor's appointment, only to have your car break down on the way there. It's just a little rain. Then a tree falls on your house. It's just going to be a little kitchen update. But after three months, your home renovation still isn't done. You learn it's twins. Your child dies. Your husband dies. You hear it's cancer, or renal failure, or Parkinson's. You hear we don't know what's causing your pain. You hear a call and end up in seminary. You learn your spouse is having an affair with your best friend. <laughs> you learn that your spouse just ran off with the secretary. A curveball is unsettling. It can shatter our expectations. It causes feelings to emerge. Fear, exhaustion, worry, stress. Sadness. The feelings beget frustrations and doubts. One week you're preaching and baptizing in the desert, and the next week you're sitting in a prison cell. Can we imagine John the Baptist sitting in that cell? Likely knowing his fate, will it be the cold conditions or maybe the lack of food or the isolation? Maybe it'll be the flu that gets him. John is in a time of in-between of God's promises made and promises kept. And he whispers a simple, desperate prayer. 
Oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. And John sends word to Jesus. John sends a question to Jesus that we all want to ask from time to time, and particularly after a curveball. Are you the one who is to come? Are you the one that we've been waiting for, the Messiah? Or are we to wait for another? Are you the one that's going to get us out of this mess? And particularly me, because I am in prison and things aren't looking so good. There's a family story in my family that, as far as family stories go, is truer than true. It was a summer day, and my dad was building a storage shed in our backyard. My dad is a builder by trade, and so this is no ordinary shed. Okay, it's a pool house. And my mom started getting calls from the neighbor with concerns about her husband. It looked like things weren't going so well, and maybe she should check on him. And my mom looks out the window and sees my dad standing on the roof of this pool house, fists in the air, screaming and cursing towards the sky. I can't actually share what he was screaming to God. When times are bad or sad, or hard or scary. Our doubts creep in. When we find ourselves in prison or imprisoned by life choices or disease or finances or depression, by embedded, ingrained systems in our society, in order to make sense of our curveball, to survive, to rationalize, to understand, to seek answers, we, like John the Baptist, courageously lift up the questions. Are you the one who is coming? Are you the one? Are you here? I became a Protestant Christian by way of an invitation from my neighborhood best friend. I liked going to church with her. Her church had other kids my age, and people were nice and inclusive. They had dinner on Wednesday nights, and I soon grew into my own there eventually driving myself on Sunday mornings and evenings and Wednesday nights. My parents didn't mind much, though my mom had a few concerns. You see, this church was a Baptist church in West Texas. <laughs> 
And my mom, rightfully so, had concerns and questions. And her advice to me when she saw that I was driving in deep and freely drinking the Kool-Aid, she said, don't let them brainwash you. Question everything. And my response, of course, Mom, I'm your daughter. Oftentimes, our faith institutions don't support us asking hard questions. Or we have real experiences of not being given permission to ask questions. Another story, my grandmother was asked not to bring my mom back to church, and particularly Sunday school, because she asked too many questions. And they were good questions, like, how did Jonah actually survive in the whale? But the Sunday school teacher didn't know how to respond, and so my mom's questions were shut down, along with her faith. Somehow, somewhere, society and our faith institutions have turned the practice of asking questions into a negative, as though it's a form of dissension or unpatriotic, as if to question is to immediately not have belief in. And sometimes we are too scared to ask questions because of how we may look. And we often lead with a caveat. This may be a dumb question, but... But to question is to wrestle with. To question means you're paying attention. Questioning means learning and deepening our understanding and our faith. To question is to unlock a different story. So many in our society have reduced faith, and particularly Christianity, to a simple yes or no checklist. Do you believe in the Messiah? Do you believe that Jesus is the Messiah? Do you believe he died to save you from your sins? Do you believe that the bread and the cup are the body of Christ? While such a list is easy to measure and track and even to abide by, it does nothing for our spiritual growth and nothing for God. One of the many reasons I love our denomination, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, is because in our history, in our disciples' DNA, we are to use our God-given minds to question it is why we have a history of establishing schools and universities and seminaries so people could learn to read and interpret and wrestle with the questions of faith for themselves. And as disciples, we are encouraged to respectfully dialogue. Because if there are no questions, then there is no dialogue. And if there is no dialogue, then there is no listening or learning or understanding or meaning or authenticity. 
navigating questions connects our head and our heart, and it deepens our faith. I love John the Baptist's question, not because it is a doubt, but because he is authentic to himself and his faith. And when we are authentic to ourselves and our faith, Jesus shows up. Jesus speaks. In our text, in our story, John, Jesus doesn't condemn John the Baptist for asking a question, for asking if he is the Messiah. Instead, Jesus gushes about John the Baptist like some high school crush. What then did you go out to see, Jesus asked, a prophet? Yes, I tell you, he is more than a prophet. This is the one with whom it is written, who will prepare a way for you. We don't always feel Christ showing up in our lives. We don't always see it. We all have stories of being thrown curveballs and wondering if God is there. Of asking, are you the one who is to come? But this strange Advent story reminds us that no matter the depth of our imprisonment, our angst-ridden questions get to God, and God is indeed fully present in our questions and in our doubts and our fears and in our sadness. And the best we can do is to be authentic to whatever questions we hold and whatever feelings arise, trusting that we will live into the answers. My little orchid plant here reminds me of such a process. I keep this orchid plant in my office, and I know that it does not look like much. <laughs> Orchids symbolize joy and love and grace. And with their slow-growing nature, they do hold a great deal of promise. Each time I get a new bloom on my orchid, I feel like a rock star because it means months of waiting, months of wondering, are you there? Months of me encouraging it along, come on little buddy. And even when you get a stem with the bud, there are still more weeks to wait until it blooms. With most orchids only blooming once, maybe twice a year, most of the time we might think that our orchid plant is dead. Like this one. But it's not. If I look closely, there are signs of life. There are new leaves. It is green. There's a new stem starting to poke through and reach toward the sky. There are signs of life. 
My orchid is in a time of in-between. And I know there is indeed something happening below the dirt. And I just need to trust the process. I trust that with time and care, it will bloom again with joy. We may find ourselves in times of in-between, of God's promises made and God's promises kept, disappointed by ourselves or the world or even God. Perhaps we find ourselves whispering a prayer as desperate as it is ancient and simple. O come, Lord Jesus, come. Come. 